Gospel of John this morning. The Gospel of John is one of the four Gospel accounts in the New Testament. Uh, a Gospel is a focused historical narrative with a theological point. So it's not just a biography of Jesus. Really, it focuses on uh, his, his last years and, in particular, his, his last week. Now, John is, is one of the apostles of Jesus, uh, one of the 12 original main disciples of Jesus who received uh, the greater part of his teaching. The word apostle is an English version of a Greek word that means one who is sent out, a messenger, a personal messenger. The apostles were ones who spent the most time with Jesus, and God chose them as the ones who would write or uh, be the source of documents that would eventually be collected as the New Testament portion of the Bible. Their job was to be Jesus' personal messengers and to spread the good news of Jesus everywhere. In fact, that's what the word gospel means. Gospel is another word that just means good news. Okay? So the gospel according to John is this document that talks about the gospel of Jesus Christ in very simple form. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, like I said... It is not a biography. It is a focused historical narrative with a theological point. The last week of Jesus' life is the most important week of the most important person who ever lived. And today we are going to look at a portion of what is called the Upper Room Discourse. Upper Room because that's where Jesus and the apostles met on the last night of Jesus' life. The night before Jesus was betrayed, crucified, and died on the cross. They met in the upstairs room of a house of one of Jesus' other disciples. Okay, so upper room discourse. What's a discourse? A discourse is an extended, authoritative lesson, often in spoken form. The gospel accounts record numerous discourses given by Jesus. We have the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. We have the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 25, which talks about the end times. And today we are reading from the Upper Room Discourse, which goes from the end of John 13 all the way through John 17. Now, the Upper Room Discourse is obviously significant because those are the things that Jesus wanted to impress upon his disciples just as he was about to die. On his deathbed, so to speak. If I were dying and I didn't, no, if I was going to make it through the night, you better believe that I would gather my children around and tell them important things that I wanted them to remember. And it's a great place for us to read in Father's Day because Jesus mentions the Father 53 times in the, in the Upper Room Discourse. 53 times. And we often call Sundays the Lord's Day because Sunday is when the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. So on this particular Lord's Day, which our culture has designated as Father's Day, we are going to learn some things about what Jesus wants us to know about God, our Heavenly Father. For those of us who are or will be earthly fathers, we will also learn some things about our own fatherhood. Okay, so I ask you to turn to John 14. Let's start with verse 18. Okay, verse 18 is well into 
the discourse, but Jesus makes this point, which is the title of my sermon and is also very appropriate for Father's Day, and that is this. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and I, and you in me, and I in you. Okay? Now, in our culture, it's also sort of commonly said that uh, we are all God's children. Okay, so in a sense, you know, God is all of our fathers. But that's not biblically true. It, it's not true. It's not, in fact, the case that we are all God's children. We are all God's creatures. That's for sure. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. But only those who have been adopted by God are his children. At the beginning of the gospel, according to John, in John 1.12, we read this. Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, to those he gave the right to become children of God. And in Romans 8.14, we read that all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, so not everyone is a child of God, only those who have been adopted. Galatians 4, 4 through 6 has a very similar passage. When the fullness of time came, at the exact right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, that would be Jesus, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Okay? Now, I recognize that Father's Day can bring up some uh, mixed emotions. Okay, because we are weak and fallen human beings, and we are born and we die, and these things create uh, sometimes very difficult senses of loss. I think of uh, those of, uh, among us who have lost their fathers recently. I think of our sisters Raina and Lisa. I think of our brother Jason, whose father died of COVID last year. You know, I also think of... Um, others who have lost their husbands or fathers uh, sort of recently or in, in past years. Uh, our dear brother Randy Rush passed away. And this, would, this is the third Father's Day that uh, his children have not had him around. And his widow Jerry is still, you know, texting us pastors, uh, you know, asking for ideas for plans because she wants to make Father's Day special for her kids still. I think of our brother Kevin, who lost his father, uh, Howard Rathburn, a number of years ago. And I think of all of the Barnes family who lost their patriarch. They're all in heaven. Thank God for that. And we rejoice in that. And then there's other mixed emotions as well. Right? There's other mixed emotions. Maybe you didn't have a good father. Maybe you didn't have a good father. And, and Father's Day really brings up mixed emotions for you. And, and, and then we also have the scourge of divorce that has sort of permeated our society. Uh, husbands and wives 
separating from one another and, and children losing their fathers in that way. The fact that I have a heavenly father is a very precious truth to me personally because I've been abandoned by my earthly father. Okay? Now, this happened relatively late in life. I was an adult, uh, but I haven't seen or heard from my father in like 22 years. I don't even know if he's still alive. He would be 79 now. The reason why this all came about is because my father committed adultery. And this, uh, this sort of, I guess, final adultery was uh, latest in a string of them that, that had gone back you know, an additional 20 years, which is a whole other trauma dating all the way back to my childhood. Uh, but uh, long story short, uh, there was an acrimonious divorce between my mother and my father. Uh, during that period of time, the legal wranglings, my father made clear to me and my other adult siblings that if we weren't primarily taking his side, then we were against him, right? Which wasn't true. We were just trying to stay out of the middle, which is a terrible place to put your children in the middle of a divorce. But as the divorce came to its conclusion, he cut off all contact. And my siblings and I have not seen or heard from him since. Now, I carry that absent father wound, right? Now, here's the thing. It actually drives me to my heavenly father, right? who, unlike earthly fathers, says in Hebrews 13:5, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. This is a very comforting fact. And also, my experience, both with my heavenly father and with my earthly father, makes me want to love my children, not the way my earthly father failed to love us, but the way my heavenly father loves me, with grace and with truth and with long-suffering patience for all of my heart's faults and sins and with more than a little discipline, okay? So I, I do want to talk about our Heavenly Father primarily today. I want to talk about the gifts that he gives us. You know, my, my earthly father, uh, it wasn't all bad. I, I mentioned that the, the split up came when I was an adult. You know, as a child, uh, in God's providence, uh, God gave, uh, God gave me, through my father, lots and lots of really great gifts. Okay? First of all, he immigrated to the United States uh, from China, uh, escaping the communists. And so I'm an American because my father, and actually separately my mother, both immigrated to the United States. Uh, my father made a high income as a, as a doctor, and so I grew up privileged. And he did, in fact, spend a lot of time with me uh, as a child. You know, uh, one of the great gifts that he gave me was, was uh, intellectual development and a lot of education. I learned a lot of things in, uh, you know, on his lap before I ever learned them in school, multiplication tables and all those sorts of things, okay? How to read, how to write, all those things. He taught me how to tie a tie. He taught me how to iron a shirt. You know, a lot of the things that dads are supposed to teach their sons. Um, I've, been, uh, I've been managing Theo's baseball team and... Uh, my dad also uh, taught me baseball uh, to some extent, and it was kind of funny. I was thinking about this, that, that you know, uh, he was left-handed, and uh, I don't know why, but maybe in the 70s, it was just hard to get, like, a right-handed mitt. So he had a, he had a regular left-handed mitt that he would wear backwards on his right hand and throw the ball to me, uh, and we would throw the ball back and forth in the backyard, 
And he looked really awkward because, you know, he's like a Chinese guy who didn't grow up in America and he didn't grow up playing baseball. But, you know, he wanted us to have an American experience. So he, he taught me baseball, you know, in that way. But I want to talk about uh, the perfect gifts from our Heavenly Father. So on your outline, it's, it's the perfect gifts from Dad. Now, we've probably all had tons and tons of advertisements coming into our inboxes, and we see them in shop windows. The perfect gift for Dad, right? The perfect gift for Dad. Well, this is not an advertisement from retailers. Uh, I want to talk about three gifts that our Heavenly Father gives us, and those are a happening, a helper, and a home. A happening, a helper, and a home. I'm going to work backwards a little bit through chapter 14 because uh, that it's actually the order that the Father gives them to us. So first, a happening, a happening. Okay, so look at uh, verse 1429, verse 1429, right at the end of the chapter. It says, now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. Well, when what happens? Well, Jesus has been saying numerous times, I am going away. In verse 1333, he says, uh, where I am going, you cannot come. In uh, verses of, of 14, 2 and 3, he says, I go. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going. I'm going. In verse 12, he says, I go to the Father. In verse 18, he says, the world will no longer see me. So he's going. And the disciples do not feel good about him going away. They've been traveling with Jesus. They've been homeless like he is for the last three, three and a half years, following him around, this itinerant preacher, because they believe that he is the Messiah, come to deliver the Jewish people from oppression and to establish an everlasting kingdom. And he is just that. He is the Messiah. But now he says he is going away. And they are greatly troubled by this. Okay. When my father committed adultery when I was six, he went away for a number of days. He took off. And you better believe my heart was troubled when that happened. Now Jesus knows this. And that's why he says in verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. And again, in verse 27, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Okay? He is comforting them because the happening is a good thing. In fact, it is the best thing that has ever happened. In verse 28, he says, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Okay, so what is the happening? Like I said, it's the best thing that has ever happened. It is the most important thing that has ever happened to humanity. It is the thing that the Bible says is of first importance. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 and 4. This is what is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You see, we are all sinful. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God is holy and just. Our sin creates a chasm between us and God that we cannot cross. 
But God bridges the chasm for us. In God's justice, he cannot overlook sin. He must punish it. But in God's mercy, he gives us forgiveness that we don't deserve. God pays the debt himself. The eternal son of God took on a human nature and became a man. This very Jesus of Nazareth who is speaking the upper room discourse. He lived a life without sin that would be impossible and is impossible for us. He died a death that he didn't uh, deserve uh, to pay the penalty for our sin. On the back of your song sheets and on the email uh, that I sent you yesterday uh, and on our electronic bulletin, delraychurch.com slash bulletin, uh, the new city catechism, question 25. We're working through that this year and the last few years. 25, this is the 25th Sunday of the, week, of the year. Question 25 says, does Christ's death mean that all our sins can be forgiven? Yes, because Christ's death on the cross fully paid the penalty for our sin, God graciously imputes Christ's righteousness to us as if, we, if it was our own and will remember our sins no more. Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe because we owe a debt that we cannot pay. Are you suffering under the burden of your sin? Are you suffering under this debt that you cannot pay? You can come to him. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin has left a crimson stain on all of us. But Jesus has washed it white with snow. You can come to him. You can come to him right now. Of all the wonderful things that have happened here at Delray Church, I think my favorite has to be our dear sister Cynthia coming to church on Easter Sunday for the first time as a visitor not a believer. And as she sat in that very room, the room that we will be in next week, she listened to Pastor Matt preach the gospel on Easter Sunday. And as she sat there, she told us later, she thought to herself, I believe this. I believe this. God saved her right then and there as she listened to the good news of Jesus Christ. That can happen to you too. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So the happening is this good news of Jesus Christ. So that's the happening. Another gift that the, that the Father gives us is a helper. Turn to uh, verse 16. In verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And that is the spirit of truth. Okay? The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the helper. The helper comes from a word that could also be translated as counselor, like a legal counselor, or an advocate, like a legal advocate. Uh, but, but he's really our helper. Okay? He's helper. And why is the Holy Spirit, the helper, a gift? Because in our sinfulness and our weakness, we need help. We need help. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, he regenerates. He regenerates. He regenerates our dead spiritual hearts. Dead people can't believe, but spiritually alive people can. We need the Holy Spirit to regenerate our dead spiritual hearts so that we can believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit also brings to remembrance. 
Verse 26, if you look there, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The apostles were able to write the New Testament for us because of the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God. And the second, 2 Peter 2.21 says that men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God, wrote from God. Okay? So we have, the, we have the word of God because of the Holy Spirit. Also, the Holy Spirit abides in us and dwells in us. In verse 17, uh, Jesus goes on to say, The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because it does not see him or know him. But you know him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now, it is one thing to be forgiven of sin. God the Father forgives us of sin. And God the Son died for our sin. But it's a whole other thing to have power over sin. God the Holy Spirit lives within us and literally empowers us to have power against sin. Both the penalty and the power of sin have been broken. Praise God. Right? We literally have the power of God living within us. Now, notice that Jesus speaks of the helper as a he. He says, I, Jesus, and he, the Father, and he, the helper, the Holy Spirit. Okay? This is a doctrine that we call the Trinity because we worship one God. There is only one true God. And this one true God has three persons. Not three gods and three persons. That would be tritheism. We're monotheists. So on your outline, we have this uh, diagram. It's an ancient diagram. Uh, obviously updated for us in English, uh, but, it, you know, but it says like this. Uh, we have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit of God are God. But, so, the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But they are not each other. So the Father is not the Son. The Son died on the cross for our sins. The Father did not die on the cross. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's why the Son says, I, and blah, 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 and He, the Holy Spirit. Right? And I, and the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit, because that's two different He's. So the Father is not the Holy Spirit either. That's two different he's in, in what Jesus is talking about. Okay? The good news of our salvation through Jesus Christ is totally Trinitarian. God the Father sends God the Son in the power of God the Holy Spirit to become a man, Jesus, who died for our sins and was raised on the third day. Jesus pays the penalty for our sin. The Holy Spirit gives us power over sin. So from the Father, we have the gift of the happening and the gift of the helper. The last gift we'll talk about today is the gift of a home. 
Okay, so now look at verse number, verse 1, verse 1, uh, 14, 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. We said that already. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And Okay? So, Jesus, having died, been buried, been resurrected, and having been ascended now through the clouds to the Father, Jesus is with the Father right now. He is preparing a place for us. Okay? Heaven is the Father's house. Father's house is in heaven. Okay? Now, this is a very important doctrine for us as well. Um, we actually have this book that all of us as formal members have read. It's called Life in the Father's House. It's Life in the Father's House. It is a book about church membership and all of the things that are important about church membership. And we read it in a class that we've used to prepare people for formal church membership called the Welcome Home class because this is your church family, this is your church home, welcome home. Uh, we have traditionally taught this class uh, during the summer uh, in person. This summer, we are going to uh, continue what we did last summer and, and, and teach it uh, at a sort of a self-paced uh, way. And I will be uh, hosting Zoom meetings, very short Zoom meetings on Wednesday evenings, starting this Wednesday, in fact. So if you want to learn some of the basics of the Christian faith, maybe become a formal member of the church, you can take the, the Welcome Home class. The way it works is it's 10 lectures. You watch, each, uh, you watch one a week, and then we come together on Zoom to, uh, to kind of discuss it just a little bit and to see each other's faces and to get, get to know each other uh, just a little bit. And then after 10 weeks, the class is over. Okay? So uh, a number of you, I look around, and a number of you I, I, have, I see uh, have signed up for that class, and we're going to start our Zoom meetings um, on Wednesday, I should remind myself to email you the Zoom link before Wednesday so that you can actually do it. And then, uh, but anyway, you're all welcome to take this class with us. It's a great class. Um, uh, Pastor Matt put it together. I've been helping him teach it for, I don't know, 10 years. And I learn something new every time that I teach the class. So please join us for this. Okay, so uh, Jesus is preparing a, a heavenly home for us. And this kind of dovetails with what Pastor Matt preached to us last week uh, from the book of Haggai in the Old Testament. And Haggai was telling the Israelites who had come back from exile in Babylon to consider your ways. Consider your ways because they had neglected the worship of God in order to build up their earthly homes. They had neglected the worship of God and the temple in order to prioritize their own houses. And likewise, we must not neglect worship and the mission that God has given us in order to focus too much on our earthly homes. Uh, another book that uh, the elders have read recently is a book called Elders, and the elder book tells me, as an elder, I need to teach this to you, so, so here goes. Don't put your hope too much in earthly things. Okay? Don't put your hope too much in earthly things. What if you and I were on a business trip and it's a two-day business trip. We check into the hotel and I put down my bags and immediately I go 
to Home Depot and to very expensive furniture places and I drop $50,000 to renovate the hotel room. And you look at me and you think to yourself, what, are you insane? Yes, I would be because we're only there for a couple of days. But I say to you, well, I really don't like this hotel room. I want to redecorate. It's like, like we're going to live here. So like, I'm going to spruce this place up. Don't get too caught up in investing your earthly treasure in our earthly homes because as Jesus says elsewhere, those are places where rust and moth and termites and stuff destroy and thieves get in and steal. And you can't take it with you anyway. Put your time, your talent, and your treasure in heavenly riches, as Jesus tells us. And also, the more you do good things and stay on the mission that Jesus has given us, the more rewards that God gives us in heaven. Not salvation. Okay, salvation is free. Salvation is a free gift. We can't earn that. But the scripture is also clear. We can discuss that another time. Rewards can be earned, and they're built up for us in heaven. So I think about my heavenly home. I have an earthly home. It's very nice. I'm excited to live there. It's extremely comfortable. Um, but I sometimes think about my heavenly home as well. And, you know, I, I, I do what I can to, to be on the mission of God, preach the gospel to the lost, preach the gospel and the word to you all uh, when I have opportunities. Um, but I also think of our brother and sister Marlon and Jimena, who are giving up way more than I am. And I think to myself, what kind of place is Jesus preparing for them in our Father's house? And I just think to myself, well, uh, when I get to heaven, I am going to kick it in Marlon's pad because I am sure that his is going to be much nicer than mine. Okay? It's true. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about home. Now, how do you get home? Uh, finding the way home, verses 5 through 7. 5 through 7. In verse 4, Jesus says, You know the way where I am going. And Thomas, infamously doubting Thomas, says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Good point, Thomas. You can't get from point A to point B without knowing where point B is. And for that matter, you can't get there without knowing that you're at point A either, which is why it's so important to know that we are sinful. And apart from the grace of God, we have no hope. Okay? That is point A. So how do you get to point B? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is an absolutely clear, exclusive truth claim. Absolutely exclusive, absolutely clear. Acts 4.12 says something very similar. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else. Okay? There is salvation in no one else. Okay? It's a little bit kind of like that we are all God's children thing. That's not true. 
We are not all God's children. There is salvation in no one else, only the God of the Bible, the triune God of the Bible. Now, this kind of exclusivity is offensive to people. It's very offensive to people. And if you think that you are shy about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are lost and perishing because it's offensive to them, then I urge you, preach the gospel to your own heart. Preach the gospel to your own heart so that your heart overflows with the gospel of Jesus so that it doesn't become offensive to speak the truth in love to other people. Okay. Next, God makes us his home. Okay. Verse 23, verse 23 says, Jesus answered, said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Make our abode with him. Okay, so in verse 17, we already read that the Spirit abides with you and will be in you. We talked about how he lives in us. The Father also lives in us. The Son also lives in us. Galatians 2.20 also says that Christ lives in me. Right? 2 Corinthians 13.5 also says the, that Jesus lives in us. So let's talk about how Jesus loves the Father. How Jesus loves the Father. Verse 31. So that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. So that the world knows that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. And he says, get up, let's go from here. They're probably walking from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. So that's how Jesus shows his love, by doing exactly what the Father commands of him. Right? Now let's talk about us. First, we have to believe. First, we have to believe in that happening, the good news. Okay? This is what Jesus says in verse 29, going back to the happening. He said, I told you that uh, before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. And that is how we are saved, by believing in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Not by doing, okay? There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor, but by believing. Ephesians 2.8 says, We are saved by God's grace through our faith. Trust. Believing. John 3.16, maybe the most well-known verse in the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. John 20, 31, at the end of the gospel according to John, John writes that he wrote the gospel because these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Acts 16, 31, someone asked, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And that is why Jesus urges, urges the disciples to believe. Verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In uh, verses 8 through 12, Philip asks him another question. He says, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long, Philip, that you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works himself. And he goes on to say that truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will do also and greater works than these because I go to the Father. When we preach the gospel to the lost, God does a greater work, Jesus says, than the works that he has been doing. Because the greatest work that God does is to take a dead, unregenerate sinner and convert him unto himself. Everyone who has come to Jesus is a miracle of God. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. And once you believe, you're saved. You're no longer an orphan. You're adopted. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're an heir of heavenly riches. You're no longer spiritually dead. You are alive in Christ. God changes everything. Thank God and hallelujah. So how do we love the Father? How do we love Jesus? Once we believe and we are saved, how do we show that we love God? Well, the same way that Jesus did, by obeying. If we truly believe that God loves us, then we will love him. 1 John 4.19, John, the same John, writes this. We love because God first loved us. So God has to love us first. And if we truly believe, then we will trust him. In my family, we have the who am I game. And it goes a little bit like this. I talk to my kids. I say, who am I? Papa. Do I love you? Yes. Do I more, know more than you? Yes. Do you trust me? Yes. Therefore, will you obey me? Yes. And then I reason, because I'm not about being obeyed. I don't care so much about that. I want to point them to the Father. Then I reason from the lesser to the greater, and I say, so if you trust me, your earthly father, who is weak and sinful and doesn't know everything, how much more should we love and trust and obey God who knows everything, who loves you infinitely more than I can love you? You should trust him. And this is what Jesus says numerous times throughout this chapter. He says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. Verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He, do, who, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Okay, don't get it mixed up. Obeying is not how we achieve salvation. Obeying is what we do as a result of salvation. Titus 3.5 says, God does not save us on the basis of righteous things that we do, but by his mercy. Obeying God just shows that we are saved. Okay? And we got to be really careful about that. Not to get it twisted up, because man-made religion is all about obeying and then you get salvation. Obey, and Allah will have mercy on you. Obey, and you will achieve nirvana. Obey, and follow the path, and you will achieve the next 
state of reincarnation. Obey and you will be politically correct, whatever it is, right? That is man-made religion. But Christianity is be saved and then obey. Okay? And in our culture, we have this also dangerous thought, which is that we don't maybe necessarily need to obey. And we really ought to obey. So we, we should trust and obey. That's why we sang the song this morning, Trust and Obey. Because we should trust God, and then we should obey all that Jesus has commanded for us. And when we don't obey, we're tempted to have thoughts kind of like this, which is, well, Jesus died for my sins, so it's okay if I sin. And the Bible talks against that. The Bible says, shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase? And the Bible says, may it never be. And we also have this temptation that says, well, I, I know what the Bible says, but do I really, is that really what it means? And yes, it's really what it means. Okay? Because when we say, do I really have to do this? Do I really have to not gossip? Do I really have to speak kindly? Do I really have to love my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I really have to not lust and look at inappropriate things on the computer or commit adultery or other things like that? Do I really have to um, believe that God made marriage between a man and a woman and what God has put together, let no one put asunder. So divorce is wrong and that God made man and woman and he brought them together. So, so marriage is between, you know, a man and a woman. We have a lot of so-called Christians who are speaking against these commandments that we have to obey and making excuses for why we don't have to listen to the Bible. And we really ought to, because when we don't, we're saying, did the Bible really say that? And when we say that, we are quoting the serpent in the garden who came to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say that? Yes, he did. And that caused all the problems in the first place. So trust God. Obey God. But also thank God because Christ died for our sins and we will continue to stumble no matter how much our, our best efforts in this life, in this mortal life, we will continue to stumble. But God is gracious. He loves us even when we're naughty. And that is how we should love our children as well. We need to love them even when they're naughty. So how do we love our children? We share the happening with them. We share the happening with them. Tell them about Jesus. They are little sinners too. They are vipers and diapers. We need to share Jesus with them so that they can know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But don't just tell them the gospel. You have to live the gospel with them. Treat them with grace. Forgive them when they're naughty. Love them when they're naughty, even when they're naughty. And here's the thing. You cannot give what you do not have. If you are not in the faith, you, can't, you have to come to Jesus first. And then, you, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak the gospel. If you believe that you are in the faith, then as the scriptures say, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, test yourselves. Test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. We are in a constant state of self-examination. 
Secondly, be their helper. You are not the Holy Spirit. I cannot save my children. If I could, I would, but I can't. So I go to God and I pray that God will save them. And I just try to be an instrument in his hands to be their helper and to point them to God our Heavenly Father and to Christ our Savior. Constantly, continually, day by day, all the time. Be their helper to show them the way. And provide their earthly home, of course, but also show them the way to the, earthly, to the heavenly home. Show them the way to the heavenly home. We ought to show them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So, we got to declare the truth of Jesus to them. And on that note, uh, we are, are, have come to the end of the service where we are also going to declare Jesus by taking the communion cup. We're going to take this little packet that is all neatly wrapped for us for COVID times. Peel the, bat, uh, peel the, the, the top layer off. Take this, um, I don't know if you call it bread. It's weird. Edible stuff. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 11.23 says, The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, this very night that we are talking about, took the bread, and we had give, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take this, this wafer and take it. And in the same way, verse 25 says, He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So when we drink this cup, we do this in remembrance of Jesus. Let's drink the cup. And verse 26 goes on to say, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let us go from this place. Let us proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He said he was going away. He said he is coming back so that he can bring us to our, our heavenly home. Let us glorify the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's make every day in this sense Father's Day. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this good news. We thank you, Lord God, for our earthly fathers. We thank you, God, that you are our Heavenly Father. We thank you, God, that you have made some of us earthly fathers and the joy that we have of raising children. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you, God, for the upper room discourse. We thank you, God, that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, said all of these things to his disciples and that by the power of your Holy Spirit um, who brought them to, his, uh, to their remembrance, they were able to write them down and that because of them and the Holy Spirit and also men who uh, translated this into English for us, we have the word that can be so easily understood so that we may believe and trust and obey. We glorify your name, O God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.